0: So I'm going to talk about a bunch of things today. But we're going to talk about Easter. And we're going to talk about Easter from the perspective of a couple different places in the Bible that talk about Easter. And some people say, oh, you know, the God of the Old Testament, he was judgmental and powerful and punishing. And God of the New Testament is loving and caring and kind and Um, That is not accurate, because God doesn't change. But our relationship with God changed a whole lot when Jesus died on the cross. It changed a whole lot at Christmas, when Jesus came. And it was changing. I mean, it took 30 years for the whole world to change, right? Over that whole process. I was making jokes that... um, My friends that are in denominational churches or in Catholic church, they get to celebrate. There's words for Tuesday and Wednesday. I forget what they are. Maundy, Thursday, the foot washing service, and then Good Friday, and you get all worked up and you're sad because Jesus died, and then you got silent Saturday, and you go through that, and then Sunday, you come to church and you were celebrating Easter, and hallelujah! And I said, you know, if you're non-denominational, you got to squeeze all those in on your Sunday. <laughs> you got to go through all those emotions. So we're going to talk a little bit. Yeah. I got to do two Passovers this year, and as I'm spending time, you know, looking over the Last Supper, and looking over the Passover, all of that is great, because you're really looking at Jesus' Last Supper, and how Much he shows through that. And then on Easter, you talk about him rising from the dead. And I'm not going to do it this year, but some year we need to, maybe the week before Easter, even though it's Palm Sunday, we'll talk about just the misery and the pain that Jesus went through for us. The night that he was betrayed. I mean, he was up all night long. He was He was stressed out. Like, think about how stressed out and irritable. I mean, I'm super irritable and cranky when I'm stressed out. And here's Jesus so stressed that um, blood is coming out of his skin. Like, like some people get have a nosebleed when they have high blood pressure and they're stressed. He was just in the garden. So then he is killed. And it's just a horrible, horrible way to get killed. It would never be legal today. Um, no, no country would allow it. The UN would like send in helicopters and be like, this is cruel and unusual. You can't do this. We're not going to do trade with you. I mean, the way Jesus was killed was horrible. And then they took his body, and this rich guy in Psalms, King David says, you're going to get buried with the rich. And sure enough, a thousand years later, this rich guy named Joseph of Arimathea, this high-ranking Jewish guy named Nicodemus, go to Pilate who could kill anybody just like that. And they say, hey, can we take the body down off this cross and bury him? And so they take him down. Pilate didn't kill him. <laughs> That's a good thing. Pilate didn't kill Nicodemus or Joseph of Arimathea for asking such a thing, and they embalm and they clean and they wrap Jesus's body, and they don't wrap it. I mean they wrap it tight like they they're helping the body to rot and decay. That's what their their embalming is the opposite of our embalming. So he was really dead. And they put him in this tomb and they kind of are in a hurry and they can't really do it all because as soon as the sun sets, they can't touch a dead body. And in the time that they have to embalm it, they have to make it down to a creek or a river or a lake and they have to wash themselves and be cleansed so that they can celebrate Passover so they wouldn't be unclean because they touched the dead body. Oh, they got a lot of time. So they're in a hurry. So, that was Friday during the day, which would really be Thursday, because their days start on the evening, so it would really be late in the day on Thursday, to Friday, all day Friday, Friday night, no, Friday, Saturday, hour Saturday all day, Saturday night starts the third day, the next morning, these women go, and they're like, man, we're really thankful, For rich Joseph of Arimathea to pay for this tomb and to pay for all this stuff. But now we know he didn't finish embalming. We're going to go finish it. And Matthew 28, chapter 28 talks about it like this After the Sabbath, so the sun comes up, the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Behold, there's a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, his clothing was white as snow, and for fear of him the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, "Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here; he has risen as he said." Come see the place where he lay. Come look at it. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and behold, he's going before you to Galilee, miles away. Like, he's not here. He's risen from the dead and he's all the way up in Jasper. Like that far. Go quickly. He's going. There you'll see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came because he wasn't all the way there yet. He was going to meet him in Galilee, but they caught him before he could make it there. They ran up, took hold of his feet, worshipped him. Jesus said, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. Can you imagine what a great moment this is? And, and we read it in slow motion. We pick over the words like, He said brothers. He, he called them brothers for the first time at the Last Supper. Wow. I don't... I, he called them, No, no. He called them friends. I don't call you slaves, servants. I call you friends. And then at the Last Supper, and then all of a sudden, now he's risen from the dead and he calls them brothers. They're closer. And they're going to Galilee. Something has happened, right? Some big deal. So in Psalm 130, David writes. This is King David. We've been reading about King David. And he is praying and he is crying out to God. And he wrote wrote this down. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. David is crying out for mercy. He says, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities... Oh, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. God has forgiveness. David goes on. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I hope. This is not saying in his Bible, in the Bible, I hope. It's in what God promised me. In what God has said, I am hoping in what God has said. My soul waits for the Lord more than a watchman for the morning. More than a watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love and with him is plentiful redemption. Hmm. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. So David is in trouble and he is hoping in the promise that God has given him and he knows that God does not keep track of our iniquities. God doesn't keep track of what we do wrong. God has forgiveness. Now I know some people have forgiven me of things, but I also know there's people that haven't forgiven me of things. I know there's people I have forgiven, and I know there's people that I have a whole lot of trouble and I have to re-forgive every day that they come up. But God has perfect and right and complete forgiveness. And so that's what we seek after. That's what we want from Him. He has it. And with Him is plentiful redemption. Plentiful redemption. Okay, so you guys, uh, I hope you tip waiters, waitresses, all that stuff. I mean, people that have those jobs are getting paid paid ridiculously low, and they are depending on your tips. Have you ever tipped somebody because they did so well? You were just like, oh man, they just gave me the extra cheesecake. I'm going to give them an extra five bucks. Oh man, we had such a big party. We had so many people. They had to work so hard. I'm just going to tip them extra. Have you ever tipped somebody when they completely messed up and they totally and utterly failed? and they just ruined the thing. I worked. I, I spent a summer working at Jerry's. I don't know if you guys remember Jerry's. Now it's Denny's. Long live Jerry's. There were so many times that I had no control over what was happening. Because if the dishwasher was having a fit and didn't want to wash the dishes, and if the chef was yelling at me, and telling me he's going to make the eggs for the people however he wants to make the eggs, whether they want them over easy or not. I'm helpless, right? And my only hope, I was getting paid two fifteen dollars an hour. That was what, two fifteen dollars an hour was what waiters got in the 90s. And uh, I was counting on that person to just give me a tip of some sort. Plentiful redemption. David says, God redeems us plentifully. This is Psalm 130. This isn't Romans. Psalm 130, David is saying, God pays for us over and above. He tips us. He leaves the $100 tip even when we just give him Diet Coke instead of Sprite. He plentiful redemption. Wow. So if you have this idea that God gives plentiful redemption, and he doesn't remember, he doesn't count our sins. With you, there is forgiveness. If you would mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? David's saying that because, gosh, if God kept track, I mean, think about it. If God kept track of one single sin, that would be enough to send you to hell. If God kept track of one thing that you did, I mean, it's not a matter of does He forgive some or most? Well, you know, He forgives most of them and then some of them I can work off. No. If He keeps track at all, He's going to get one. And if He's got one, then you aren't worthy to stand before Him. And we're all doomed. So Jesus is walking around with His disciples. And the Gospel of Mark is really cool because in Mark chapter 8 and Mark chapter 9 and Mark chapter 10, you can go to the end of each one of those chapters and Jesus talks about His death and crucifixion and resurrection at the end of 8 and 9 and 10 of the Gospel of Mark. So if you're ever wondering, where is that in the Bible? you just be like, okay, it's it. Mark is the action Bible. It's where everything happens. It's the action movie, right? 8, 9, and 10, at the end of that. So, end of Mark 8, Jesus begins to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the experts in the law, These are all the most important religious people there are. And Jesus is saying he is going to be rejected by all of them. He's going to be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke openly about this. So Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But after looking at his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter. And said, "Get behind me, Satan! You are not setting your mind on God's interests, but on man's." Jesus is telling him, "I'm going to get rejected by the chief priests. I'm going to be, get rejected by all the Bible publishers. I'm going to get rejected by every denomination, and every church is going to hate me like this." That's what the level of what he's talking about. And Peter is like, "Oh, I have seen you raise people from death. I have seen you work miracles. I have heard wisdom from you." Explain the Torah like no one has ever explained it to you before. You, you're wrong, Jesus. Hmm. Mark 9, they went out from there and they passed through Galilee. But Jesus did not want anyone to know. For he was teaching his disciples and telling them, the Son of Man will be betrayed into the hands of men. Betrayed? They will kill him. After three days, he will rise. So now it's not just that the bad guys, like we always read the New Testament, like the Jews are the bad guys, right? He's going to be betrayed. You don't get betrayed by your enemy. Your enemy doesn't betray you. I mean, your enemy—if your enemy kills you, they're doing what they're supposed to do, right? A betrayal is by somebody in your own club, in your own group, and they didn't understand it, and they were afraid to ask you. So then let's go to the end of Mark 10. They were on the way, going up to Jerusalem. I love it how all of these, they're on the way. They're going somewhere. Jesus is teaching while they're doing things. Jesus was going ahead of them, and they were amazed, but those who followed were afraid. So Jesus is up walking ahead, and they're just looking at him, and they're just like, wow, this is the Messiah. This is him. Every time we come to Jerusalem, there's been problems, and we know this time when we come to Jerusalem, he even knows he's going to die. He's going to get killed. Thomas the Brave said, Let's go up to Jerusalem with him. Let's go die with him. And they're just, wow, but they're also afraid. He took the 12 aside again and he began to tell them what was going to happen to him. Look we are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and the experts in the law. They will condemn him to death and will turn him over to the Gentiles. Okay, whoa. All the priests are going to be mad at you. Somebody's going to betray you. Now you've just brought the Gentiles into this. They will turn him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him severely, and kill him. But after three days, he will rise again. What's so moving about this is that Jesus knew with detail everything that was going to happen to him. Do you ever think about doing something and then you're like, I don't want to do that because I might blah, 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 right? This is the classic anybody over 40 with the skateboard. I am not going to get on that skateboard because I might totally fall and hurt myself. You might not. Don't do it. But you might not. Jesus knew all the horrible things that were going to happen to him in detail. And these are horrible things. They will mock him. I mean that you know, six and stones will break my bones, names will never hurt me, all that nonsense. Getting mocked hurts. But spit on him. Okay, this is next level. Under Jewish law, if I spit on Jim, I have to give Jim 400 days' wages to make reconciliation with him. Four, that's like a year and a couple months of my pay. That's how bad it is. That is, like, mocking is... The word version of this, spitting on, is the action, physical version of this. So it's such an offense to spit on someone that it's 400 days wages to reconcile it. They're going to flog him severely. If this was Jews doing the flogging, by Levitical law, they can only hit you 40 times. Otherwise, it will disgrace you, it says. That's when Moses gives the law. He says, only strike them 40. Anybody that gets flogged only gets struck 40 times. Otherwise, you will humiliate them. And I think, oh my gosh, it would be humiliating to get beat 40 times. Well, the Romans didn't live by Levitical law. And they whipped people a whole lot more than that, usually killing them all the way. Jesus knows he's going to get a Gentile flogging after he gets spit on, after he gets mocked, and then they're going to kill him. Yet after three days, he will rise again. It's so wild that it's, you know, it's like when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. It's like he went and he knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. So why was it a big deal? He knows he's going to rise from the dead after three days. But it's still a big deal. He's still going to take that mocking. Take that. Gosh. So we have David talking about somehow God has forgiveness. And somehow God overpays for our need. We have Jesus talking about all the horrible things that are going to happen to him. And he knows about them clearly. Clearly. These horrible things are going to happen to me. Jump way back to Acts 10. After Jesus has risen from the dead, Pentecost has happened, the Holy Spirit has come. The Gentiles are getting saved now. The Holy Spirit is being shown to the Gentiles. And this is how, I think this is Peter. This is how Peter explains what happened at Easter. This is just like a thumbnail sketch of the whole life of Jesus, right? And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses. The people who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And so now we start to see this death that he died was the payment. And whoever believes it receives forgiveness. The forgiveness that's the overpayment that David talked about in Psalm 130, that payment was Jesus' death on the cross. And so he rose from the dead to say, It's been paid. There's a joke we used to do in high school, we didn't do it very much because we got in trouble for it. We like to tell people, "Hey, we bought your dinner." You see some friends at a restaurant, Pizza Hut, whatever, and you check out, and then you go over to your friend's table and you say, "Hey, we got yours," and they'd be like, "Whoa, thanks!" And then they get up to leave, and the waiter, or waitress, or manager would yell at them, "Hey, you have to pay." <laughs> It was mean. It was cruel. Remember that whole thing I said Jesus paid for our sins? There. Jesus could have paid for our sins by dying on the cross. How would we know? How would we know it happened, right? How would we know, gosh, he was the best teacher ever. He was sent by God, and everything he said was right. He would just be another prophet. He would just be another wise person. But he comes back from the dead. And he walks around. He's tangible. The Marys can fall down and grab his feet. And be like, Jesus, it's really you. A couple days later, and we try to do this at some point after Easter. A couple days later, he is on a beach grilling fish. And he's like, hey, you guys, bring some of your fish up here and I'll put them on with mine and we'll all eat together. He continues teaching. He continues talking, telling them things. He really did raise from the dead. And that's the proof that all the other stuff he said was true too. So the Apostle Paul writes the book of Romans. And the people that are receiving this letter are in Rome and they are being persecuted and they have followed Jesus and they have fled from all different places. And later on, they're going to even have to flee from Rome and go other places. And Paul is just like, before I come, I just want to explain the whole joy and truth of the gospel to you so that you can really grasp it and we can talk about it and encourage each other. And your homework can be to read Romans five because it really sums up. I'm going to read it real quick, but if you read it slow and camp out on it, it it's it's transformative. It really is. So at the end of Romans four, it says, "It will be counted righteousness will be counted to us who believe in Him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord." He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. He was killed for our sins and he was raised up to show that it's right and show that we are connected to God now. So since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Through him we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God because Jesus rose from the dead and proved everything that he said was true and everything that he predicted, the stuff that David longed for, Moses even prophesied that there'd be one that came after him that would teach us everything to Adam God said I'm going to crush Satan under your feet under the of one of your descendants from Adam we've been longing for this and now we have it I'm going to skip down to Romans 5:18 as one trespass of Adam led to condemnation for all men So one act of righteousness, this is Jesus dying on the cross, leads to justification in life for all men. As by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. It's the only thing in the universe that's true if you believe it. I can believe all I want that I'm going to have a libs turtle Blizzard after my lunch today. That would be so. Like, I'm going to show up with the Libs Turtles and they're going to make a blizzard and they're going to put french fries in it. If you've ever had french fries in your blizzard, it'll change your life. I can believe all I want that I'm going to have that after lunch today. That doesn't mean it's going to happen. It actually isn't. If I believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that He rose from the dead after taking away my sin. That is actually true for me. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We're saved by faith, by grace through faith, not by our works. i can give you a big list of people who we know from the Scriptures are saved and had no works to show for it at all. That is what Easter is, is the fact that all of these promises, 4,000 years of promises, all came true in Jesus. And now, any access to God, anything we long for, as much as I long for a libs, turtle, blizzard, that longing is, a, is like an actor, That longing is like a a ruse or a decoy of what my true longing is, which is for for God, to be close to God and to be accepted by Him. And Jesus says, I have given you that. That is my free gift to you. And all you have to do is believe it. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank You so much That you have so overpaid our debts. That you have so overpaid our redemption cost. That even while we were still sinners, you did not wait for us to get righteous before you died for us. But even while we were still sinners, you died on the cross for our sins. I pray that we would carry that around on us and in us every single day, Lord that we'd be continually reminded that every need we have is a need for you and that you have overpaid. You have ridiculously and grossly overpaid in the life of Jesus. We love you and we praise you, Lord. Amen. All right. Let's stand and sing number 132 together. Mm you mm-hmm. May you just know that your sins are forgiven and may you tell that to everybody else that will listen. Happy Easter. God bless you. Thank you.